Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-20-2022. We're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here we go with the thought of the week. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were caught in this deception. Jesus said, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside will also be clean. That's from Matthew chapter 23, verse 26. Their focus on outward behavior is like many today. Many are willing to change their behavior, but refuse to submit their thinking to God. We must remember that our thinking comes from our fallen nature, Adam. We don't have one righteous thought when we are lost. Therefore, when we are saved, we must begin the process of adopting a new reality. This new reality is the thinking of God. Don't expect that you already know it. Quote, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Taken from Isaiah 55, verse 8. Are you willing to put aside your thoughts about God, learn from your sinful nature, and learn from him? God created man in his own image, Genesis 1.27, and ever since man fell, man has been creating God in his fallen image. Would you like to know God? If you do, then you need to confess that you don't know the first thing about God. Then, you will have, then you will have to allow God to reveal himself. Even though his thoughts and ways are not ours, he has provided a way for us to get to know him. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer some commentary on that, because I think it directly relates to what we just came off of in Q&A. And that is, what is the context for all of this? What is it that we have to learn? And it's it says right there um, that if we want to know God, then we need to confess that we don't know the first thing about God. And I would add to that that we can't figure it out either. We can't take our most beautiful pride, emotion, or wisdom, and human wisdom, and say that that's what God is. Uh, we have to allow God to reveal himself. And he does. He does reveal himself uh, through his word even the deep things of God. So when we say our church is the word is true church, we take that from John 17, 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father that um, the, his disciples and those who would believe in their message would be sanctified by the truth, and God's word is truth. What we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, that spiritual things are taught with spiritual words. And that we must be, um, we must be spiritual, or at least, how do I put it, open to the Holy Spirit teaching us. Romans 10:17 was another place that we saw a reference to the Word of God, or in this case, it was the Word of Christ, um, because that is the context of Romans 10. So, in, in all, we need to have humility to learn about God's reality, which is something that we never knew before. And that humility is towards his word. And that's my commentary on the thought of the week. Amen. And now we'll give us prayer. Okay, thanks, Dwight. Do I have any special prayer requests? Sure. Um, asking for prayer for, in particular, Fred. Uh, also for uh, the Haddon family, which is get my sister Gail and her family as well. Kenny and Bob as well. We'll, we'll just ask for prayer for them. Okay. 
Okay, anyone else? If God would take to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we come in here, Lord, today, Father, this day, Father, we ask you for special prayer requests that we know their needs and wants, Father. Father, we pray for our church, Father, also, Father, we pray that for us to receive the message as the Spirit teaches us all truth, Father. Father, we pray for, for the church this Sunday morning, Father, as we continue, Lord, in our service, Father, we ask you to guide us, Father, and direct us, Heavenly Father, through the Spirit to teach us all wisdom and knowledge of the truth. Father, we ask you to the Lord of the blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. All right, <clears throat> so we, we are studying in John chapter 17, verse 11. Uh, it's quite a bit in this verse, but I think we can get through some of it. I will, it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one, as we are one. Uh, so you have you should have notes. One thing we must know for sure. This world is not our home. Wait a minute. Yeah, this world is not our home. Even though many feel some kinship to it, we must always keep in mind that God ordained that we would not have our identity here. Quote, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands, unquote. That's 2 Corinthians 5.1. <clears throat> the disciples know, <clears throat> excuse me, the disciples know that Jesus will be leaving this world very soon. And what would follow would be the spirit of truth coming at Pentecost. They will remain in this hostile environment until Jesus comes to get us. Quote, I will come back and take you to be with me, uh, that you also may be where I am. That's John 14, 3. Jesus prays for our security, assuring that the establishment of the church will be successful. And the Father would be able to call those many unique sons into glory. That comes from Hebrews 2.10, that thought. So we have a, quite a few notes to get to. So let's see. We, we gotta, we're going to take this verse in three phrases. I'll start with the first phrase. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. So the first thought is Christ is leaving this world just as he said at the beginning of this discourse. And so when we look at the, the beginning of this discourse, when it started the whole thing about where he says, I'm leaving, <clears throat> we review it as John 13, 33 through 36. Um, 33 says, my children... Jesus has been talking to him and about the Son and glorified and all that. But then he says, my children, and he's talking only to the eleven. Remember, Judas has already left. My children, I, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, he, they heard him tell the Jews. Just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, that's devastating. Now, uh, of course, he continues to go on and talk more, but watch what Simon Peter says in verse 36. But he goes on, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. <laughs> Peter could have said, well, what is this love? <laughs> or some other question. However... What was on Peter and the other disciples' mind was verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, 
You cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So notice, we're going to where he said. So we get clarification on that. So verse 33, he says, where I'm going, you, you know, I'm telling you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. But what he meant in particular for us in 36, he's, we're going to come later. Well, you know, us by extension, we're part of the church age. So we're coming later. It's what we call the rapture. So um, <clears throat> that started the whole thing, especially in chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. And don't be afraid. This is going to happen. This is part of the Father's plan. This is not, even though it's not according to your plan, it's the Father's plan. So Jesus is leaving, and that, that's where the disciples, and yeah, they heard it before, but this is pretty direct, Jesus telling them he's going to depart. That's pretty serious. So serious that the disciples were upset about it. it I mean, they were physically moved by Jesus saying he was leaving. I mean, this is the Messiah. They had, not only does it disrupt their theology, they consider Jesus a teacher, a leader, a friend, somebody who they follow uh, for wisdom and guidance. Uh, what are they going to do without Jesus? Uh, how would they continue in the world? I mean, they left everything to follow him. And then all of a sudden now he says he's leaving. So let's continue on in our notes. We've got a lot more to cover. Jesus will not be physically here again. Because he's leaving physically, bodily. He's no longer going to be here again until. And there's a couple verses I'd like to point out to you. Uh, Acts 1.11. So let's go there. Acts 1.11 says, uh, we got a few verses here, so I'm going to be moving quickly. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here gazing or looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so we're talking about the bodily uh, ascension of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus, when he talked about, I'm going to go away, he wasn't talking about the resurrection. He was talking about leaving this world. So here in the ascension is where he, when he left the world for good. He was literally physically gone from this world. And, but Acts 1.11, the angel that was there watching him ascend just as the disciples, they, I don't know how long they must have stayed there looking into heaven, into the sky, basically. I wonder, how, was it a minute, five minutes, 20 minutes where, where an angel had to come and say, well, why do you keep looking there? It's gone. He's gone. But he's coming back. He will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And that's literally what's going to happen. Now, Zechariah is an Old Testament passage that talks about this as well. I'm going to turn to it. Zechariah chapter 4, 4 through 8. Let's read that. I asked the angel... Who talked with me? What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord. I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might. Wait a minute. Am I reading the right verses? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Not by mouth. <laughs> he said to me, this is the word of, this is verse 6, not, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then I will bring out the capstone to shout, shouts of God, bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This does not seem like the verse I was thinking of. I'm wondering why I took... Actually, there is a prophecy, and I must not have the right one. I 
I could go back and find this, but uh, I'm going to, and it's an important verse. I would just make sure I don't see it in some obvious misplacement or transposition here. Because I do want to make sure we do see this. Uh, huh. I'll get it. And I'm not going to take the time to find it at this point. We will get it later. So, and it actually, I'll just say what it is. It's a prophecy about Jesus coming back to the earth and what will happen when he does. Let me just see. Hold on. We're, we're going to find this. I can't just let this go because otherwise we'll be... Um, we won't have... Let's see. Let me just, let me just, hold on. We've got to take the time to find this. I hope, because I don't want to, let me see. Mount of, I believe it's, stand by. So we're, Resuming, so the verse, in fact, is Zechariah chapter 14 and verses 4 through 8, not 4, 4 through 8. Let's read it. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and the other half moving south. You will flee by the mountain valley, uh, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, which no distinction between with no distinction between day and night when evening comes there will be light on that day living water will flow out of Jerusalem half of it east to the dead sea and the other half of it west to the mediterranean sea in summer and in winter so notice those verses zechariah 14:4 through 8 do describe the second coming of the Lord. And so I just wanted to point that out when Jesus will physically be here again. So other, like Paul saw Jesus in a vision, right? He, and it blinded him. And he t spoke to the Lord. But that wasn't the Lord physically coming to this earth, just to note. Okay, so point C, we'll continue. While Jesus finished his work on earth, that's John 17, 4, which talks about, I have finished the work you have given me to do. He continues to work while in heaven. And this is what it says in Romans 8. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, has been raised to life. And what it doesn't say there is he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But it says he's, he is at the right hand of the Father. Uh, of God, right, and is also interceding for us. That's Romans eight thirty four. You'll find that verse, uh, which awfully telling about when uh, or what Jesus is doing in heaven. You might say, "Well, he's sitting at the right hand of God. What's he doing?" <clears throat> well, he is still at work for us. He's gone. He's in heaven. If you're wondering where is Jesus right now. He is in heaven. That's pretty clear from what the scripture tells us. Uh, and w when will he come back again? We, we got that part as well. Uh, point D. While the disciples were understandably upset at the news of Jesus' departure, he reminded them of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is in John 16, 5 through 7. So let's just look at that. Um, John 16 and five through seven. Here it is. 
but now I am going to him who sent me. Again, this is very similar to what we have been talking about, Jesus' departure. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief. Notice, because I said these things. Notice the thinking here of the disciples, or their demeanor is, they are filled with grief. They're, they're emotionally upset at Jesus' words about him leaving. Verse 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, that's interesting when we think about that. <clears throat> He's trying to set the stage for the disciples to see the bigger picture here. Right? It's, yeah, they were upset, but understandably, Jesus is saying this is part of the Father's plan. That's one of the things they did not recognize, that this, in fact, was what the Father wanted. They figured it was a bad thing for Jesus to have to die. They didn't even pay attention to what he said after that. Like, oh, yeah, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. Yeah, well, if you die, it's over in their minds. But they had to put their trust in the words of Christ. And, yeah, they had problems. I'm not going to say that they didn't go through an emotional roller coaster through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They did, no doubt. So point E in our notes, as we mentioned, the disciples will join Jesus, but not until later. And we saw that earlier. And uh, I think we took the same verse. Well, let's look at that John again, back to 13. They will join, but later. And this time we're looking at the following verses toward the end of the chapter. So 36 through 38, they will join him until later. So we get a little understanding of what Peter understood. In verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So Peter is questioning that as well. And he understands that Jesus is talking about death. He's talking about he's going to die. He even described it in detail. I'm going to be taken, the chief priests, the Pharisees, I'll be crucified and mocked and all that. Peter understood that. So he says uh, in verse 37, why can't I follow you now? And I look, at, look at the way he understands following Jesus and how it would work. I will lay down my life for you. Now, just You might have not ever thought of this, but if they die, if Peter died, at this point, he would not be a part of the church age. I don't know if you thought of that, but that is really the reality of this. He says, I'll die for you. And if he would have died for Christ at the time Christ died, he still wouldn't have been part of the church age. He would only be in the part of the church age if Pentecost would have happened, if he would have lived until Pentecost when he received the baptism of the Spirit. But, but God knew this. And that's why he says, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. But then Peter questions him and he says, oh yeah, well you will follow later. You can't come now, but you will follow later. Peter's like, I'll die now if that's the case. If, if it's about dying for you, you're going to die. But if you, I believe in you so much, I'm willing to give my life for you now. And I'm willing to follow you now. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So you got to know that when Jesus says this in, uh, in verse 30, whatever he says, 33, I'm going to be with you only a little longer. And then later down here, he tells Peter, before the rooster crows, that's what he means by that is before morning, Peter, you will disown me three times. That's how soon these events are taking place. That's how soon this discourse is happening. And I'm just pointing out these things 
Uh, we already went over them, of course, and just reminding you to say that while it may take us months to go through these passages in the speed at where we're at, right, the, the pace we're at, but just know it only took a matter of a couple of days here before Jesus did die. Because that, that night he was taken, and by morning, they, and the day continued, because the next day was Passover. Jesus died on Passover. And before, uh, before the, the sun went down, well, actually, yeah, it, he died on the preparation of Passover, just like they would kill the lamb in preparation for Passover. Um, then at the same time Jesus died, and the, the Jews wanted him off the cross because they said it was a desecration of their sacred holiday, which is Passover. So they wanted to make sure there were no... Uh, you know, ugly uh, sights for people coming to Jerusalem on the Passover because they were crucified outside the gate. And so can we remove them? They went to Pilate and said, can we remove uh, Jesus and those other thieves off the cross? I mean, if they're not already dead, let's break their legs so that they will die and we can continue to, to celebrate our holy holiday here. Passover. Interesting. That's that's the Jews' remembrance and religious nature of celebrating the Passover, even at the expense of the Lord Jesus Christ there. So, back to our notes. As we mentioned, the disciples, will they would join Jesus, but not until later. And not until later, <laughs> thank God, because obviously these are the foundations of the church and Jesus is telling them the Spirit's coming and all that. They needed to be here. That's the point. They needed to be here. And uh, point F, they are still in the world, right? So this is, I will remain in the world no longer, right? Jesus is gone, but they are still in the world. Let's talk about that. They have work to do, just as Jesus did. He had to finish the work, John 17, 4, that, he, that the Father prepared for him. They are part of how Jesus said he would build the church. So in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, On this rock, what rock? The confession that Peter made that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that confession, Christ says, I'm going to build my church. Now, that means anybody who's going to come in the church would need to be uh, accepting and believing in the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no doubt about it. And so Matthew 16, 18 is uh, the building of the church. Uh, the disciples is the preparation and establishment of the foundation of the church. So that's, that's why they're still in the world. That's why they still need to be here. Jesus is praying to the Father. He recognizes their role going forward, even though this world is dangerous. And that's what we're going to get to next. Point G. Jesus came and finished the work prepared for him by the Father, and the disciples must also testify. Now watch this. In John 15, 24 through 27, uh, we covered these verses, obviously, you know that. But let's look at this. Because they're gonna, the disciples would still be in the world, and they have a testimony to make. Right? We'll get, we'll get to that. So, fifteen twenty four says, Christ says, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, and that's true. We, if we stopped at that point right there, uh, nobody did the works. And in fact, Nicodemus was a witness to this. He says, no one can do the things you do, except God is with them. I mean, Jesus healed people constantly, daily. Every, I mean, people were pressing throngs. Regions of, uh, all the regions around were, were bringing their sick to Jesus, and it says he healed them all. So, when he says, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. In other words, they know, they know that I am the Christ. They know that God is with me. 
I mean, it's undeniable. I mean, for us, we're like, hmm, do we believe it or not? Well, the testimony is that Jesus did so many things that were outside the realm of human possibility that anybody would make draw the conclusion that God is speaking through this man. And yet, it, that's still not enough because religion does hold sway over a lot of people and they choose to reject all of that and then reject Christ. Right? Just because you saw the signs, wonders, and miracles does not mean that you necessarily will believe. It is still a matter of the will. So continuing, as it is, Jesus says, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. That was the result. So Jesus made a testimony. He stood, he came, he did his thing, right? And, and that, was, that was what he, um, the father expected of him. Verse 25, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. There it is. When the advocate comes, okay, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So notice, so Jesus made a testimony, right? When he, a statement when he came uh, of who he was. And then the spirit comes and he will, it says he will testify about me. And where we get that in particular, we get that through John chapter 16, verses 8 through 15 where he testifies the Spirit has new information about who Christ is. He testifies to the world, sin, righteousness, and judgment, and so forth. And then also the testimony about Christ, about the mind of Christ to us in this age. I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. So uh, Spirit of Truth comes, and he has to testify. He will come and testify. And then verse 27, and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning so the foundation of who uh, jesus is was instilled in in the disciples they saw the signs wonders and miracles they saw the work of christ on them and they believed that that he's the christ the son of the living god when he says you must also testify so notice there is work for us to do down here as well. Not just the disciples, us as well. We must testify. In fact, that's why we're in the world. Uh, we are still in the world. God could have just said, okay, the moment you believed in Christ, I'm going to take you right on to heaven. That's it. You don't have to worry. And, um, well, of course, there is not, nothing to worry about in terms of you know, our salvation, but but we wouldn't have the chance to testify, would we? Now, for some, their testimony is the fact that they left here. So it's, God, it's God's choice and how and what our testimony is. So just know, this is part of building the church. Right? And part, point G, Jesus came and finished the work prepared for him by the Father, and the disciples must also testify. Um, I think that's the one we just read uh, in John 15 and in H Hebrews 2, 4, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, again, this is part of how the disciples testified in particular. He testified to it by signs, wonders, and miracles. So notice God established the church, not just because Christ said he's going to build it, but notice what it was built on. It was built on the signs, wonders, and miracles that Christ testified. That was the work that he finished from the Father. And then it was testified by the Spirit, who was going to talk about Christ, this new information that we have, and also the mystery, right? the, the baptism of the Spirit, all that information and, and uh, about us. The Spirit testifies. And as well, here we have the Holy Spirit again. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles by gifts of the Holy And here, I would say, this has to do with those disciples and the, the continuing to establish the church. 
the miracle signs and wonders that the apostles did. Paul even talks about the signs of an apostle, right? That God would show uh, himself uh, true in those apostles by signs, wonders, and miracles. That, hey, this is indisputable truth. And I can't do these things. Uh, Paul couldn't do them and Peter couldn't do them. This has got to be by God. So, distributed notice according to his will. And that's important to note about the why we are still in the world. Right? And this is how the church got established. And, and this is where we are. And so then, point I, we are in the world also, as, as I was just saying. And we stand on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstand, cornerstone. That's Ephesians 2.20. But Jude 1... 3 says, it's interesting, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. How did that faith get entrusted to God's holy people? It was through the work of that Jesus did. It was through the work that the Holy Spirit did. And it was through the work and testimony of the Spirit in us, right? Uh, well, the, in the disciples, that is, in the foundation, so that that's what we stand on. And it says that we are to earnestly contend for that. So the, the foundation that we have is just what we just said. And it's not just conjecture or human reasoning or uh, what seems right, or what feels right. It is the testimony about what God has uh, chosen for us from the foundation of the world. This is the truth that God has given us by means of the Spirit. Demonstrated truth, not just, okay, is this true or not? If you ever wonder if what we believe as Christians is true, this is how God established it. But it's not, well, let me, let me tell you how reasonable this is. Let me tell you why this makes sense over all other religions and all that. It's, it's not through our human reasoning. It is through this, the power of God. And that's what we fight. That's what we stand and contend in the world to say. No other uh, proposed religious organization that, that says they speak for God has had this type of testimony. Attending it. No other. And I'm saying this. I'm, I'm putting myself out there on a limb to say that nobody in this world has done the things that Christ has done or the apostles have done. No one has the testimony and establishment by God's divine, omnipotent power performing signs, wonders, and various miracles. Nobody has it. And that's what we stand on. That, that, that God did show up and he did deliver for us. That's important for us to know. We're continuing. Let's keep going here. Point number two in our notes, and this is the second phrase. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Point two says, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. So just let's, let's, let's think about these things. Uh, points here. Sometimes we forget that Jesus is not speaking to us. He is praying to his Father about us. That's some, something for us to note because, uh, you know, we read these verses and we're pouring over them word by word, phrase by phrase, and we're trying to understand them based on what the Spirit of Truth is teaching us about them according to the context. But sometimes we start we're getting so much information. We're saying, wow, he's talking about us. Of course he is, but he's not talking to us. He's talking to the Father about us. That's just a point to make. So that goes into point B. His address to the Father uh, is Holy Father. And that helps us orient to his loving and devoted relationship with the Father. And it really should be the same for us. Because we are those people that he's talking about. The establishment of who we are has been 
confirmed, as we read in Hebrews. Right? It, it has been confirmed. So now uh, we should have the same understanding because not only is the Father Holy Father to Christ, he's Holy Father to us. So Romans 8.15 is one of those scriptures that tell us that. Uh, let's read it. It says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, we cry Abba, Father. So Father is a translation of Abba. It also, it's like in the Aramaic tongue, Abba. It is how it, it was a most loving and endearing term for, for a child to their father. It's a relational term. It's a term, and Jesus is, from his standpoint, when he talks about Holy Father, he's talking about his love and devotion. He said he loved the Father in chapter 14, 31. I love the Father and do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So his love for the Father is expressed in devotion. And that relationship should also be ours because that spirit that Christ had that motivated him to do all those things that the Father wanted him to do and say is the same spirit that we have that motivates us to do all all the things that are in the mind of Christ and to live out and walk out that reality. That's why we grow. What was in the Father has been deposited in Christ. Christ says all things that are the father of the Father are mine. So what do we have? We have the mind of Christ. So we attempt, as we live, to have humility in this world and allow Christ to live and manifest in us. Christ is alive or living in us. So that, that's what's important in that verse. So we have that familial relationship that he had with the Father. Well, we can understand that we are his offspring and that we can call him Father. This is God the Father. This is because of the work the Father has done in us by giving us the Spirit. And we haven't even received the full adoption yet. That means we haven't received our resurrection bodies. But yet, there it is in 8.15. It's the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by, this, by means of the spirit, by that, we cry, Abba, Father. So point um, C in our notes. Protect. So this is... This is interesting, again, sort of what we talked about in the Q&A a little bit. Protect. <coughs> Let's get the uh, definition. <clears throat> Stand by. So the word protect, tereo, has this meaning. To attend to, carefully, take care of, to guard, metaphorically, to keep <clears throat> one in the state in which he is to observe, to reserve, to undergo something. So this is all from Thayer. And the meaning here, I would say, is taken from the first, the point one, uh, and the first few that we read, to attend carefully, take care of, to guard, to keep, right? These are, <clears throat> this is what Jesus is asking the Father to do. And that's kind of understanding when he says to protect them, obviously, it's dangerous in this world. So don't, don't think otherwise. So let's go to point D, since we understand what protect them means. Our Lord is keenly aware of how dangerous this world is for the apostles. As they would go out here and walk in the world. He's aware and prays for their safety. And that's back to John 15, 18 through 21. Let's read that. <clears throat> John 15, 18, it says, if the world hates you. Now, he's really thinking post-Pentecost here. So after they get the Spirit and all this, this is what he's been dealing with, trying to prepare them for 
is the coming of the Spirit and all this new dispensation, all that is will ensue. <clears throat> it says that the world hates you, and it will. It's going to be since the world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, <clears throat> you would love it would love you as its own. I, I should have... Yeah, it would love you as its own. Uh, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Wow, interesting to note. And continuing, remember that what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Notice, it's not about we look different than the world. We smell different. Right? We walk, when we walk, we, our feet don't touch the ground. It's not it at all. It's about what we say, what we believe. And we're talking about in the church age. What's going to happen when the Spirit comes and all that? The world's going to hate you. And why? Well, they're hating me. Just know it's not anything to do with you. It's what the world sees of me and hates. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now, I'm not trying to say if you're a person who says things that they shouldn't say or does things they shouldn't do, that the world reacts to you in ways, the next thing you know you find yourself in jail or something, looking up and saying, man, the world hates me, just like Christ said. No, that's not it. This is special where, just like it says, if they obey my teaching, they will obey, obey yours also. It's about the teaching and the words that have been given to us uh, that distinguish us in the world. They will treat you this way because of my name. My name? My name? We're going to talk about that a little bit as we go forward. I don't want to reveal it all in this point, but notice that's why. It's because of my name. As a person would just, you know, trivially, uh, in a tri trivial way, read this and say, oh, the name, well, what's the name? Jesus, right? So, but it, no, it's more than that. We'll talk about it as we go forward. Protect them by the, by the power of your name. So we're, we'll get to that in our, our next point, point E. On top of all of, of that kind of hatred, there would be religious persecution. And this is John 16, 1 through 3. We, we should read that. Because that really is on the heels of what Jesus just said. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things. Here it is because they have not known the Father or me. So there you have it. There's the reasoning. It's going to be persecution. And they will kill you. <laughs> now, don't think that this is something that, well, okay, you'll be censured, or, or they'll tell you, oh, I'll put you out of the synagogue. or Yeah, it could get to this point where they will kill you. And these are people who will do this in the service or in the name of God. They will kill you in the name of God. Yeah, this, this is terrible for the disciples. All of them were martyred, you could say, if not persecuted. So um, that was point E <clears throat> that we read. Point F says, from verses like this, we can be assured that the Lord sees us and the trouble we are facing. He is not distant or ignorant of our struggles here. And that leads us to point G, which says, I have told you these things so that, you, that, so that in me you may have peace. But in this world you will have trouble. There it is. It's not you might, you will. You definitely will have trouble. Why? I already explained to you all the reasoning as to why you're going to have trouble. And uh, But notice, it's coming. Don't expect that you are in the world filled with the Spirit and 
the world will react to you with love. It will not. I don't care how long we're here, whether we live 50, 100, maybe 10, whatever, how many years we're here, we're a believer. This is true. This is true of every believer. And it has nothing to do with your suffering or your didn't go to college or you made the wrong choice. You never, you know, you made choices after college or, or whatever it is. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with what God has made of us, what he has called us to, our destiny. And that gets us to the next phrase, by the power of your name. So ultimately, what we discussed in Q&A was about how some translations will add things so that it's clear. And, you know, <clears throat> part of what translating is, is, is one thing to render uh, word for word what the meaning is of one language to another. If we were to say, oh, we'll, we'll just put, we'll just translate the words and you figure out what it's saying. But sometimes trans, the translation is not a word for word meaning. So sometimes meanings can't be translated into other languages word for word. And that is true. I don't know if you know another language, but, but if you do, you understand that. So you might have to use two, three, four words, or you might have to help the person understand what is being said from the other language. Part of translating is interpreting. So and to interpret, you have to convey what is the context to, you know, in another language. So, and that's what happens in these verses where you go to the Greek and you realize, hey, it, it doesn't say. Now the word power is a couple words in Greek for power. And dunamis, exousia, right, means authority. And the dunamis is dynamite type power. And there's other words for greatness and power. But you know, it's, they're not found in this verse. It, I don't see anything that says power in this verse. Basically, I just gave you a couple versions of, uh, of what it says. Here's what Wiest says. He says, maintain a watchful care over them in your name. It doesn't say by the power of your name, but in your name. And then another one, the International Standard Version, I don't know if you have that or not, just simply says, protect them by your name. You could say, well, what is that? Why, why did the NIV translate it, protect them by the power of your name? Because they're trying to convey a point. They're trying to not just translate what's there, but they're trying to help you understand what is there. Now, obviously, this could be good or bad. We have to look at this to examine it to, to know for sure. When I say good or bad... Well, in some cases, maybe they don't have the context right. Maybe maybe they looked at the context in the Greek and thought, okay, it means this, so I'm going to translate it the way I think it means. So in those cases, we, we would rather just have the words themselves, and you don't have to put the interpretation spin on it. In other cases... Well, it's not clear what is being said. Sometimes we need them to clarify. So we got to take some examination from us to really understand what is being said. So the word power is not in the Greek. It is just simply by your name. And I just gave you two, two translations, one from Weiss and one from the International Standard Version. You could judge it by what your version says so that you'll understand. So... So let's go. Well, hopefully you understand that point. Let's go to point I, your name. Okay, so what, what about the name? So the name, well, Jesus just called him Holy Father, right? And it's a reference to the highest authority there is. But there is more to this, your name, than meets the eye. And why do I say that? But even when we say it's the highest authority there is, so Jesus, when he was here as a man, and he said, he said, um, the Father is greater than I am. 
he said that a few places. So when when you hear him say that, he's and he's serving the Father as when he came. He, he says, "I'm I'm obedient to the Father. I, I love the Father. I do exactly what the Father tells me." Yeah. Obviously, as a man, he's subject to the Father, and we read that in Philippians two as well, where he says um, that. As far as God is concerned, you know, he's the God-man, as we know. But as far as God, he has equality with the Father. But as man, he humbled himself, became obedient, taking the very nature of a man, of a servant. He took our nature. He took a human nature. And then he, he was obedient to the point of death. So we, we see the, the two natures of Christ. One is he has equality of God with God, the Father. I mean, the Father is not greater than the Son if you're talking equality. And then on the other hand, as a man, he is. And the Son of Man, or Christ as a man, serves the Father, finishes the work that the Father planned for him to do. So so yes, you can see the, the differences in how we see this. So when I said there's more, though, Father is the highest authority. He's God. There's more. So that more goes into point number three. Let's get into it a little bit. So the more, right here in point A, that the name you you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So we have some more information about that name, the power of your name. This is why they say power, because it's the highest authority, even though the word power is not there. But it's the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So we have more information to go on, not just, you know, Father, protect him by your name. He's saying protect him not just because of who you are as God, the highest authority, and you. we want these people to be protected. This is the foundation of the church. He's saying uh, the, name, the name was given to Christ. Christ says was given to me, and that they may be one as we are one. Two two things that we have to consider as what is this name? Well, point A, I reveal it. So the name was given to Christ, and it was and what was what name is that? Son. This refers to Roman style adoption. Why do I say? It's because the, the whole I, we already went through mutual possession. We we studied all that. We understood. That son is a term related to Roman style, how God sees this. How everything that belongs to the Father is mine, Christ says. Everything I have belongs to the Father. We talked about the mutual possession. And the fact that he gave everything, the Father gives everything to the Son, is related to Roman style adoption. The son now has, this is the father's plan, but what does he do? He puts everything in the son. So now the son has all authority. The son has everything. And this is um, the plan of the father, that he would deposit everything in the son. Uh, We get that from Roman style adoption. We're not going to go over what it is again. Hopefully you remember. Point B, this represents the highest Authority and purpose there is. I mean, literally, the highest. And when I say the highest, that goes back to, I'm going to John 17.10, what we just covered, right? 17.10 says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Well, how did Christ get everything that the Father has? He got it because of what we were talking about, this whole mutual possession, right? This Roman... Uh, style adoption. Christ is the Son, right? And, and He is the one that the Father has given everything over to. We'll just read a couple more verses. So, John, uh, verse 10 in uh, John 17 says that. Uh, John, let's look at a, co- a couple others. 335, we'll go quickly. 335, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. John 16, 15. says, 
All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from, from me and will make it known to you. And then Matthew 28. Let's read that one quickly. 28, I believe it's 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven, well, that's where the Father is, <laughs> in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Notice Christ doesn't claim it. He says it, part of the plan is that it has been given to me. And that is, this is, speaks of him as the Son. Right? The Son is that name. Well, you could say, well, what's the whole, what's the name? Protect him by your name. Well, the name Son is a reference to that. So let's, let's look at point C. Since Christ's glory depends on us, his body, right? This is what we learned in verse 10. And the Father's glory depends on Christ. Then the entire eternal purpose depends on the church's success and all of that hopefully you can follow along obviously we are God's highest priority and this is his eternal purpose what what more can we say if all of the glory for the creation of the world depends on our glory our being glorified if we are not glorified in some way then it foils it thwarts the entire plan of the Father. He's going to bring those many sons into glory. No doubt about it. So point D, so that they may be one as we are one. So then there's also that one phrase. It, it was given to Christ. Well, we saw that. You, this is the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So let's look at this phrase. This speaks of the authority of the name and the reference to the Father's eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Ephesians 3.11. Yeah. So point E, we have been chosen for the Father's eternal purpose. Through Christ, we are heirs of God. We're not heirs of Christ. We're heirs of God. Those predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. <clears throat> we think about heirs of God. Remember, God is invisible. We're not heirs of Jesus Christ. We're heirs of God the Father. He's the one who chose us to be in Christ so that we could be one as he is one. Right? That's the Father's eternal purpose. Right? They, God, he bring these many sons into glory. So there's a couple thoughts. We're heirs of God, right? And we are those predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's what it also says about us. And that's key because it marks out our life, right? Our identity, our destiny is marked by what the baptism of the Spirit is able to do for us. And, quote, all things are yours. That's first. So here you have Romans 8, 17, 29, and 1 Corinthians 3, 21. So we've been chosen for the Father's eternal purpose. This is what we've been saying all along in these, these verses. So let's sum it up. Point F as we close. So the fact that the dynamics of our spiritual life are mentioned, which is, you know, what we just said, so that they may be one as we are one, this assures us that Jesus is referring to the preservation and security of those who would be the recipients of the baptism of the Spirit. That goes back to 17.9, and we'll just read that one verse um, to say, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So Christ praying for them continues to say, I'm praying for their protection. I'm praying for their preservation and security. God is concerned about us. If we read Revelation in the first three chapters, he talks about the church and he shows them back and forth. I know your works. I know what you're doing. They have testimony to make in the world, the church. This is important 
in terms of God's eternal purpose. Yeah, he laid it out, what would happen with Israel and the milk of the word and salvation, and he taught it through the nation Israel. Other nations will be blessed through them if they could just be who they are, what God created them and called them to be as a new racial species. But, but Israel obviously failed, but they will succeed in the end, as we saw in the tribulation. But now God's calling for us is completely different. He's not praying for anybody else but us in the establishment of the church for our security, that we would endure. I like what he says in Matthew 16, 18, uh, where he says, I will, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We're going to have to close. We'll continue with the next verse, which is verse 12 next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and honor of the call that you brought us here in this time, in this dispensation, where you are calling out those many sons in the glory. We thank you for your, the prayer of Jesus as we're studying it calls for our protection and security, our preservation. And we know that your watchful eye and care is over us. Not only is the Father providing that protection and security, but you are also interceding for us uh, through the person of Christ. So we thank you for the divine provision that is here for us. We pray that as we walk in this world that we will be confident in knowing that your watchful eye is over us. And we cannot leave here or, or step out of uh, your will, even if we tried. So Father, we thank you for your call and, and we thank you for the baptism of the Spirit and all the other ministries that attend us in this age. We pray for this church as well, and not only word is truth, but churches wherever they are in this world who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. All these things we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.